Welcome to He is God and I am not, a podcast devoted to equipping saints with the tools needed to defend their faith. Our Twitter handle is at He is God, I am not. My name is JP and I'm your host, so let's get started. Welcome to today's episode of He is God, I am not. There will be many topics for which 15 minutes is not enough. Today's topic is one of those, so we will be splitting this into two, probably three sections. And the topic is this, um, how do we know that the Bible is the Word of God? If you recall, our last episode asked a related question, what is the Word of God? And you might ask, what is the difference between those two questions? The answer is rather critical to our progression through Keech's Catechism. The previous question, what is the Word of God, dealt with the issue of defining and placing parameters of what we consider to be Holy Scriptures. Now, once we define the parameters of Scripture, we then find it needful, as Keech and Collins did, to provide an answer to a critically important question as it pertains to our faith and apologetic, how do we know that the writings we have identified as Scripture are indeed the Word of God. Now, we could take two approaches to the answer to this question. We could not only review the answers as provided in Scripture, which is what Keech does in the answer to question 5. We could also afterward provide an overview of the historical, geographical, scientific, and other proofs of Scripture, as well as a brief explanation of the canonicity of the Holy Scriptures. But in keeping with the spirit of the Catechism, we will restrict our podcast to the power of the Scriptures alone to do the convincing and changing of hearts. And maybe later on different podcasts or two-minute drills for the extra-biblical proofs, we could do that. We could go into extra-biblical proofs of Scripture. But we're going to use the principle of letting Scripture do the heavy lifting. So with that, let's proceed with question five. How do we know that the Bible is the Word of God? The answer. The Bible evidences itself to be God's Word by the heavenliness of its doctrine, the unity of its parts, its power to convert sinners and to edify saints. But the Spirit of God only, bearing witness by and with the Scriptures in our hearts, is able to fully persuade us that the Bible is the Word of God. And there are numerous scripture references that we won't list right now that we will get to in just a moment. So in this answer, Keech breaks out the proofs of scripture into three points, followed by a qualifying positional statement regarding the use of scriptural proofs. So to summarize, those points are that we know the Bible is the word of God, number one, by the heavenliness of its doctrine, the unity of its parts, and its power to convert sinners and to edify saints. But the Spirit of God only can persuade us that the Bible is the Word of God. How? By bearing witness by and with the Scriptures in our hearts. So that's the qualifying statement, that the Spirit of God is the only effective agent to proving the Bible is the Word of God to our heart. So the first point, the heavenliness of its doctrine. We actually have five verses we want to read to you, and we'll break these apart. First is three verses found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 and then 13. And the Bible says these words, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, 
Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, which are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Verse 13, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And we will actually be covering verse 13 again later on. But in writing verses 6 and 7, we read that in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, that he points out in these two verses that the wisdom he speaks of is not the wisdom of this age. The word age can also be translated to world or era. So the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of this current age, is not the wisdom Paul speaks of. So by extension then, we then conclude that wisdom that he speaks of is a heavenly wisdom. And it's confirmed by what he said a few verses down in verse 13 that this wisdom is the teaching of the Holy Spirit and is spiritual. This wisdom is hidden from lost people, but it's ordained for us who are redeemed. That wisdom is the beautiful knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and his marvelous work that the one who is God eternally became man incarnately. He lived sinlessly, kept the law perfectly, died spotlessly, defeated death mightily, rose again victoriously, ascended bodily, and he intercedes for us mercifully. Wow, that is the mystery of God. That would make any Baptist just stand up and proclaim his name from the rooftops. That's the God we declare. That is the knowledge we have of him. And this knowledge, this wisdom of knowing Jesus in this way, it is not carnal and it cannot be digested by the unconverted mind. Now, there are people I admire who do a great job of debating skeptics. I do. I truly admire them. I, too, have debated with people. But my purpose in those debates is not to engage in a debate for the sake of winning. That is an earthly attitude, an earthly goal, and that does not exalt Christ. My goal in a debate is to engage the heart of the unbeliever with the hope of winning them to this marvelous, mysterious Christ that I just described. I will talk to someone at length, at long length, regarding the Bible, their soul, or whatever questions or criticisms that they have. And if my purpose is pure, that is to spread the gospel, to see their heart converted to Christ, I won't get in a battle of wits and try to use my own wisdom or knowledge to convert a soul that is bent on denying Christ. And I absolutely love what Paul said in verse 13. These things also we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, as I've said before in a previous podcast, I can present all the rock-solid evidence, biblical or extra-biblical, to show a person the truth and reality of God and his Christ. But without the revelation of the Holy Spirit opening their eyes, opening the eyes of the lost, all my work is in vain. But that person comes to me with a sincere desire to discuss points of doubt, and it is evident that it is a working of the conscience being stirred by Scripture and by the moving of the Holy Spirit, 
I will indeed engage them. I will take them on and I will talk to them and, for lack of a better word, state my arguments. The first scenario, winning the debate for the pure reason to say I won, is one of pride and vanity. And I won't engage in that. And I have been guilty of it plenty of times in the past. I pray that I always have the second motive. And that is to glorify Christ and share his gospel with a spiritual mindset. Not the prideful, earthly, humanly wisdom-based mindset. Christians, we would do well to examine our motive for sharing the heavenly doctrine of Christ. Kiju Catechism also gives us Psalm 119, verses 18 and 129. And those verses are, verse 18, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Verse 129, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. I want to point out three things about these two verses that Keech brings to bear in the Catechism. First of all, it is God that opens the eyes. To what end does God open our eyes? Number one, the eyes are opened by God to see the wondrous things from his law. Number two, the heart of the converted views the law of God as wonderful. Number three, the heart of the converted desires to keep the law. So let us contrast the spiritual with the fleshly. The eyes are opened by God to see wondrous things from the law, but the natural eye is blinded by the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4. The heart of the converted views the law of God as wonderful, but the natural heart hates the word, including Jesus, the word made flesh, according to John 15.18. The heart of the converted desires to keep the law, but the unconverted desires to satisfy the flesh. That's Galatians chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. Opening the spiritually blind eye, converting the heart, creating that desire to obey God's law, the word, those things are impossible with an earthly mind. We need to understand, folks, that the mind of the unconverted, that the mind of the earthly man cannot ascertain by any of his natural senses the wondrous beauty of Scripture. By beauty, I don't mean the poetic structure of the Psalms or the creation account in Genesis. I don't mean an appreciation for the wisdom and aphorisms found in the book of Proverbs. I don't mean the wonder of the prophetic books or the appreciation for the historical books. What I'm referring to when I say the beauty of Scripture, I'm referring to that miraculous awe and appreciation that comes for the Scripture when the spiritual eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit. It's like a love letter. If you've ever read a love letter from time past from that one person has written to another, and it, I've seen documentaries that show this, it's one thing to read a love letter that someone writes to another, but it's quite, it is quite another thing for you to read a love letter that is written to you because it is tended for you, written by the hand of someone else, directed to you. And that's the way it is when someone is awakened and brought into the body of Christ, their eyes are opened, and that miraculous awe and appreciation comes with the opening of their eyes. What that is, is the effectual quickening of the soul that only comes from the illumination of Scripture. This is in opposition to the natural man. And the Scripture teaches us, and we're going to go back 
to some scriptures we've read already in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Do you understand that? If you understand spiritual things, it's because the spirit of God resides within you. It goes on to say in verse 12, Now we receive not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but that which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It's a big passage, but it's a defense for knowing how the Bible is the word of God because it is directed to us from the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in us and we are able to understand those spiritual things as illuminated by the Scripture. The Holy Spirit interprets the Scripture to us so that we may understand it. Now, the first defense Keach provides for knowing how the Bible is the Word of God is the heavenliness of its doctrine. Now, how much more heavenly can we get than the mind of Jesus? And that is the mindset every believer should have for the Scriptures. Not only is the Scripture of God heavenly in its doctrine, it has a beautiful unity and it spans time, authors, content, history, all of Scripture, all of it points to one common theme, and that theme is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament points to Jesus as the common Messiah. The New Testament points to Jesus as the rejected yet victorious Messiah, the returning King. This is a perfect segue into the next section of the answer, that we know the Bible is the Word of God because of the unity of those two parts. Only God, through His miraculous working, could have created two sections that are so perfectly united in their part, the Old and New Testament, and they're united through the perfection of Christ fulfilling his prophecy as Messiah. And because of that, I am so thankful that he is God that can do this. Again, as we always say, let us be thankful that he is God, we are not. And I do think we can all be thankful for that.